This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to The Mindful Experiment, as this week we had an amazing guest on and interviewed and dove deep into the world of functional medicine and the whole mission behind it. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Sandra uh, Scheinbaum, and Dr. Sandra, she is passionate about transforming healthcare by training health coaches to help people become CEOs of their own health. She spent nearly five decades making healthcare and education more holistic and innovative. With a PhD in clinical psychology, Sandy specialized in positive psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, and mind-body medicine and served as a teacher and the director of a clinic for attention deficit disorders, ADD. Um, She is a pioneer in her fields, having implemented programs such as the use of neurofeedback with patients and becoming the first ever psychologist to earn certification through the Institute for Functional Medicine. 
Dr. Sandra founded the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy in collaboration with the Institute for Functional Medicine, a clinical psychologist for over 35 years. She is an expert in positive psychology and mind-body medicine and the author of Functional Medicine Coaching, Stop Panic Attacks and 10 Easy Steps and How to Give Clients the Skills to Stop Panic Attacks. It was really great because we took the functional medicine side. We took the clinical psychology side with cognitive behavioral therapy and all that she did there. And we had a really great discussion about all that and how it all encompasses and plays a role in so much more. I had a really, really great time on this podcast. I had a really great time interviewing Dr. Sandra. And so with no further ado, here is Dr. Sandra. Dr. Sandra, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on, and there's a lot of things that I'm looking forward to discussing in the time that we have here, and uh, I think this is going to be a really good one, so uh, I can't wait. I'm ready to dive in. Great. <laughs> so I always love asking this question whenever I start an interview, and that is, how did you kind of get into what you're doing now? How did life lead you that way and have you do what you're doing at this moment? Well, it was a lot of twists and turns, and I'm not where I thought I would be because I was an elementary education major in college. So I went that route, um, like so many young women at that time in the 60s, and thought, okay, I would be a teacher. And uh, discovered, because I loved learning, that I wanted to work with kids with learning challenges. And so I went on, got my master's in learning disabilities, and I thought, okay, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be working with kids with special needs, and kept getting more and more certifications, working with kids with behavior disorders, and then found I was teaching at local colleges and how to teach teachers how to work with these kids. And somehow that led to wanting to get a PhD in clinical psychology because I was doing groups with parents, stress management that I was focused on, which was pretty unheard of in this was in the 70s. And this whole idea that mind-body medicine, that you can use breathing techniques to quiet yourself and uh, how you can manage stress. Um, so I was leading groups and thought, well, I'll go back and get my doctor, become a clinical psychologist, so I could really focus on this area. So that's what I did. Again, love of learning and had a practice for many, many years, like 35 years. Uh, that was a local practice in the Chicago area. And I specialized in biofeedback and self-regulation therapies. I trained with some of the greats in cognitive behavior therapy, which is just was coming into being at the time. And I thought, okay, well, that's where I was going to be. And I had some ventures that didn't turn out well. I formed a huge group practice where I was managing a lot of other psychologists and social workers and realized that that was something I was not suited to. So I like to thank failures as well, because if that group practice had been a huge success in our local area, I was in partnership with some psychiatrists in this business venture. And if that had been successful, then that's where I would still be. But fortunately, it wasn't. It was a learning experience. And so I went back to being a solo practitioner, again, in a small local office. And then around when I was 65, I had just gotten some training in functional medicine because I had discovered this really powerful system, way of looking at how we function by dialing down to what are the root causes of illness. And so I took all of my prior learning and 
integrated it with what I learned through the Institute for Functional Medicine and had this idea. I had a partner at the time who was a young associate in my local practice. And so uh, we founded the Institute for our, we founded Functional Medicine Coaching Academy and our partner was the Institute for Functional Medicine. So that was something I never saw myself doing because I had no business skills whatsoever. Uh, and I was taking a huge risk to launch this and launch it globally. And so now fast forward about five years and we have trained over 2000 coaches and my love of learning is still continuing. And so putting together this curriculum, I put together all of those facets of coming from psychotherapy and mind-body medicine, psychology of eating, functional medicine principles, all the things that I had trained in, had worked uh, with my own clients with. And, and so now I'm teaching it to others um, through recruiting some of the best faculty in the world, primarily from the Institute for Functional Medicine. They train doctors. We train the health coaches to partner. And that's what really uh, inspires me. That's my mission and purpose now is to find, uh, use, to have coaches be the ones who are really going out and transforming what we have, which is a sick care, uh, into true healthcare. I love that. I think one of the things that I appreciate about your story is that you went through this journey, right? And you're like, if I didn't have these failures, um, I'd still be where I was. But due to those, it brought me to this state. But when you look back at your picture, like you were bringing up, you know, you had the, the psychology background and then the mindfulness background, you had all these things. Now you're doing functional medicine on top of it. That's a pretty good package that like works so together really well, right? Yeah, no, no bit of learning or experience from your past is ever wasted. We have a lot of people in our school who are changing careers and maybe they're coming from a marketing background or a journalism background. And they're thinking initially that it is a real abrupt 360 degree turn and now they're going to be a health coach. But as they get started launching a business as a health coach, they're finding that, Oh, that, that writing background uh, in a journal, well, I'm, that's serving me well now, or an ability to market. They're calling upon the skills that they had, or uh, people who raised kids and think, well, I'm, um, I don't have any skills, really. And then you look at, well, but what did I learn on the job as a parent, and how can I utilize that in my current career? So it's, it doesn't go to waste. No, totally. I totally agree with you. I wrote a book about like, you know, how we get caught up looking at the micro aspects of life and how it like, can totally consume us. But when you take a step back and look at the macro, you see how it's really serving us. Absolutely. I love that. So for all the listeners out there, can you just share with them really quick, what is functional medicine? Yeah, yeah. So functional medicine is not so much a way of practicing medicine because we I was a psychologist trained in functional medicine and in our school we train health coaches they're not coming out as doctors or practitioners but when you the, the principles of functional medicine really have to deal with looking at what are the root causes of illness 
And so uh, the difference between functional medicine and a more conventional approach would be what's the typical route. You, let's say you have um, a skin condition. You have, uh, you don't know what it is. You go to your doctors, a dermatologist, and he says, okay, you have eczema. And now maybe you also have some stomach issues. So you, maybe you see a GI doctor and he says you have IBS and you, you get the diagnosis. So it's all about naming the condition and then looking at, okay, how are we going to treat it? Uh, and that is typically, do we need, do you need a prescription for a medication? Or if you're going to an integrative doctor, maybe Maybe they'll say you need an herb or a supplement. But in functional medicine, it's digging down to why. Hmm, why does this person have eczema, have irritable bowel, have depression? Could it be, uh, and there are some often practitioners will do some through looking at some uh, specialized, not the routine lab test, they can get some information and say, okay, well, there's a pretty high level of inflammation going on. And so the root cause might be inflammation. Maybe there's something that is lacking. So maybe this person is lacking vitamin D because they're not in the sun enough. Uh, or maybe they are depressed because they are, uh, again, it's a gut issue and it's traced back to that. So they're finding what's the root cause and then how can we create wellness first and foremost through diet and lifestyle change. So functional medicine is looking at the big picture. It's the medicine of why, not the medicine of how. And what we do in our training program is train coaches to understand these principles, to help educate their clients, or if they're working for a doctor, patients to see that it's up to them to change. So how, where do they want to start on that journey to perhaps make different food choices or start a, a movement, an exercise program that will help with the underlying root causes? Awesome. So do you guys normally, does there like need to be a diagnosis to do this type of work uh, for an individual or is it just you have a standard of like lab tests that you do and things like that? Well, if you are a, it depends. So if, if you are a practitioner, uh, the, the what would typically happen is, yes, you would need a diagnosis. And if, if so if you're seeing a functional medicine doctor, and if the, many practices are insurance based, so the insurance has to have a diagnosis, but that claim can't be submitted without a diagnosis. There are many people who become inspired to, um, they'll read a book um, by some of the world-renowned functional medicine uh, people out there, like Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. David Perlmutter, Dr. Tom O'Brien, and they might identify themselves and say, yeah, I'm going to start to make these dietary changes. Um, and so for people who are interested in prevention, don't need to have a diagnosis to make these changes. If you certainly, if you would need to see a functional medicine doctor if you're suffering from complex chronic conditions. Um, and that would be where um, getting to the root cause and taking, you've probably been diagnosed already, um, and then looking at how we're going to um, address that condition by having a functional medicine approach. Gotcha. Now, is there a difference between the functional medicine doctor versus like a coach, functional medicine coach? 
There's a huge difference. So uh, a doctor, when we look at someone who's a practitioner, uh, this would be somebody who has a license to practice. Uh, they have their have a license as a medical doctor. They might be um, something. They, they have. They might be a um, a chiropractor. They might be a nurse practitioner. Um, but they have a license that's granted by the state that is allowing them to practice in their specialty. I was a licensed clinical psychologist, and so that license allowed me to uh, diagnose and treat uh, mental disorders. But a coach is getting a certificate. Our program is a certificate. Most coaching programs are. And this is a certificate of completion that they've met the requirements. Uh, and then they can go on. We as a school are approved by the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching. And this is a professional association. And our graduates can choose to sit for their exam. When they pass that exam, they will be nationally board certified health coaches. And so that's the gold standard to become certified. So health coaches are not doctors. They are board, they can be board certified, but it, their scope of practice as a coach is not to order labs, interpret labs, uh, order supplements. It really, they are behavior change specialists. And that's really where we find people need the most support. So they know what to do. They don't need more information. What they are really wanting is their personal cheerleader, somebody who is going to listen first and foremost, who's going to help them in any way in terms of where they want to start and how do they want to be held accountable. And that's really what we call this kind of the secret sauce of health coaching. That's awesome. Is there ways to where or techniques that you use? Because I know a lot of it you're saying is like behavior changes is what we have to work on. What are uh, some ways that you can stimulate someone to get behavior changes to make that change towards um, improving their health overall by making certain choices and things along that nature? Well, we all know that scare tactics do not work. Uh, if they did, then people would be walking around in perfect health. Um, but uh, we tend to ignore a lot of the, you know, if you eat this, this could happen to you. Um, so many, for many people, that is effective. So I come from a family history, people with heart disease and a grandmother who is diabetic. So that's a big fear factor. And so that has a place. Some people can be very motivated. Well, I better not eat that because, you know, that's going to affect my blood sugar and I don't want to be diabetic. Um, but what is most impactful is the dream. So if we dig deeper, why don't I want to be diabetic? Well, it has to do with my dream for the future. So what matters most could be maybe I want to have energy. I want to have energy enough to do the things I love, to be there for the people I love. And so a coach would often ask those crucial questions like, what do you want your health for? What matters most to you? And then they have this vision, this very in the the very vivid vision, as my friend Cameron Harold likes to say, having this vi vivid vision is so important. And that's where you start. Uh, there's research that 
uh, comes from Richard Boyatzis at Case Western Reserve. It's called a positive emotional attractor. So when somebody goes to that place, so maybe they're talking about where they want to be in five years and 10 years, what they want their life to look like. Uh, maybe it's they want to dance at a grandchild's or a child's wedding. Uh, maybe they want to be uh, out doing something that, that they love so much, surrounded by loved ones. And so that when you start to really have that clear picture and you're thinking about it, you're imagining it, your body is going into a calm, relaxed state, a parasympathetic state. And from there, it's easier to then make that shift to, well, where do you want to start today? And so a coach might say, you know, you have uh, some recommendations here from your functional medicine doctor um, and you look them over like, wh where are you ready to start? And so it's easier then to shift to the specifics today. OK, well, maybe I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to get a new pair of sneakers because mine are 10 years old and I, you know, they're, they're pretty worn out. Um, and so you take that first, it doesn't matter how tiny it is. So maybe all they did was put it on the calendar that I'm going to go to the store and get it. And then the next day they'll follow through. So you start wherever that individual is ready and they're going to be more successful when they keep that vision, that positive emotional attractor in mind. That's awesome. And so it's it's really like trying to pull out like their values in a sense and, and tying it to the vision of what it is they want to create then. Absolutely. And it's in their hands. It's not uh, because the doctor said, I better lose 20 pounds or I'm in a, you know, uh, get uh, this chronic condition. So it, it is really about where they want to be. What do they want to live for? Um, and so what the, in a relationship with a coach and um, it's you, you are with somebody who is supporting you and giving you that crucial element of hope so they're actually giving it to you. the individual is having hope. And when you combine hope with mindfulness and compassion, uh, particularly self-compassion, uh, because it's not going to be off an easy road to make these changes. There's going to be setbacks and obstacles. So being able to forgive yourself and just keep on going again is so important. That's awesome. Is there things they look for or you seek for for finding people's like strengths and working on those? I know we, we talked a little bit about like signature strengths and along that nature. Yeah, so I, um, my background is in positive psychology. When I was working as a clinical psychologist, this field didn't have a name yet. It only came into being in the 90s. But it's really the, the scientific study of what's right with you. Because psychology had always been this gloom and doom, let's get the diagnosis, something's wrong with you, and you're screwed up because you're family you know, screwed you up and now you got to be in psychotherapy. You've saddled with this diagnosis like major depression or bipolar. There's something wrong with you and you need psychotherapy or drugs to fix it. But positive psychology looks at how do you thrive? How it's the scientific study of flourishing. And it dials down to the um, we thrive. We're in our element 
when we are using our signature strengths and the uh, people who are the chief architects of the positive psychology movement, uh, Martin Seligman wrote a great book, Flourishing, and it is uh, they spent years looking at all over the world, different cultures, religion, readings from psychology, philosophy, and found that there are these basic strengths. It dials down to 24, and it's like a deck of cards. We're dealt all of them, and these are traits that we all have. So we all have these 24 strengths. Some are of the heart, like love, and social intelligence, some are of the mind, um, like strengths related to courage, for example, or strengths related to love, love of learning, and these um, wisdom strengths. And some of these consistently are at the top. And when we look back over our lives and say, how did we get out of a jam? How did we uh, make it through these difficult circumstances? It's because we were using our signature strengths. So uh, some of mine happened to be creativity, love of learning, uh, zest. I, if you were to look at me now, I'm standing. I'm not, I have a treadmill desk. It's not on because that would be too noisy, but I'm standing. Um, so I stand most of the day. Sitting's always been difficult. And for years, I thought I had ADD. But really, it's, it's more of a zest. It's energy and excitement. And then balancing that with some strengths like self-regulation. So um, being able to stick with something. And so as we look at our signature strengths, we say we could use these to help us to overcome obstacles. And you may be wondering, well, how do I know which strengths are my signature strengths. There's a, a nonprofit organization. It is the VIA, V-I-A, VIA Institute. It's a viacharacter.org, and they have a free survey. This is research-based, and you can get um, a, uh, as a result of taking this, you can find out, okay, these are my top strengths, and um, it's free, and there's a cool version for kids. So uh, we have every, our curriculum um, at the Coaching Academy is based on using these strengths. So we work with the VIA organization and people take the survey and you can take it two years later and your strengths at the top are still at the top. So some people will use it to strength spot. That's really powerful. So when you're with other people, what strengths can you spot within them? And uh, it's very important, particularly in a coaching relationship, that you become a you use your strengths as a coach, uh, and you're and then you are helping people identify how they can use their own strengths. To thrive and thriving means not just emotional, but it's also physical because we know certain strengths are really tied in, uh, like hope and gratitude and appreciation of beauty and excellence, humor, forgiveness. These are all uh, character strengths very closely tied in with physical well being. That's awesome. I, I think that's huge, um, especially for the listeners listening. Like, you know, you get you hear about another survey or quiz, you're like, okay, I can find my strengths. This is awesome. Then when you know what your strengths are, 
does that help you then to focus like these are the things I'm good at? And then I figure from there what I do with it comes to health, life and those types of things. And then just like say, this is what my main like. Uh, I guess the question I'm trying to get to is like the clarity of things, knowing that this is what I should be focusing on because there's here's where my strengths are. Yes. So, for example, um, one of my top strengths is creativity, um, as well as appreciation of beauty and excellence. So I, when I have a project, um, when I find a creative solution, then I'm in my element. And so I have to trust that that idea may come when I'm taking a walk, um, when I, I do a lot of dance. So when I'm in a dance class, I might suddenly get an idea. Uh, and so that is how some of the ideas for building Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, some of the things we put into the program uh, came from. It's it's because it was just something that you know, I have to trust my creativity and as a um, as a founder of the company and CEO, that I'm I'm in my element as the visionary, but I'm not in my element. Um, my daughter happens to be our COO, and uh, her element is more of the um, like the, the operations. And uh, that's never been my strength in terms of looking at P&L spreadsheets and, and doing that detailed work. And again, for years, I blamed myself. Oh, I have ADD. I can't pay attention. Or I would say things like I'm bad at math. Um, but looking at it from this different strengths perspective, well, those strengths are just lower on my list of 24. I still have them because I could do that work if I forced myself. Um, but also they apply in different situations. So prudence uh, is a strength that is lower. So make be, uh, prudence, we call it like the mother of all strengths. It's like your mother, like wear a sweater, you know, might get cold. Well, I show a lot of prudence um, if I'm out taking a hike and I'm going to be really cautious about where I'm stepping and I don't want to fall. So, so there I'm showing prudence. But if I uh, go into a, a shoe store and uh, I'm not showing, I could make an impulsive uh, purchase because appreciation of beauty and excellence at that moment is trumping my prudence. So I will say, oh, I love that. These shoes are so gorgeous. And um, and so I'm overwhelmed by um, what they look like and making a decision based on zest and, and energy in the moment, um, but not using prudence. So, so the more we learn about strengths, that some can be overused a lot and some we can decide to strengthen. So I can set an intention to say today, you know, when I go shopping, I'm going to use the, be really aware of need for exercising more prudence or self-regulation. I love that. And I know there's some listeners who on our, on our show here who are like entrepreneurs and stuff. So I love when you brought up like using these strengths could be like you're the visionary CEO, seeing where we're going, how we're moving forward. But then it comes to like the 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 back end business stuff, bottom line, looking at those things it's like, yeah, no, but your daughter's that she has that in her strengths. So is that something too to also utilize in that way? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, and it's looking at, uh, so she is thriving, utilizing these strengths. But it's so interesting, because when I look back on who she was as a child, uh, it was really the one that, um, you know, she was uh, using, so she has a tremendous amount of 
creativity and and zest and um, and often lacked. There wasn't showing all that prudence and self regulation, like you know. And I would say to her, um, "Oh, you know, you're you're watching TV, and it's don't you have a final tomorrow? <laughs> and you know, what about studying?" So. So looking at sometimes we pigeonhole people um, and as we look at all 24 of these strengths, we have them. It's just some come to the surface at times more than others. And particularly when we look at where people are truly thriving. So she is really thriving now in this role as more of the integrator um, from rocket fuel, the idea that I'm visionary. Um, our, my co-founder is also a visionary. So the two of us just running the company, that would have been really bad um, if we didn't get an integrator in because she is also someone who is more of the creative, more of the visionary, but in terms of looking at um, doing things like, you know, creating the budget and um, getting into the weeds of the finances and some of the fine details of operations, the taxes and all those. Um, so we are, so my daughter has, has been in that role and is thriving. So this, these strengths are, are really, have she's built that up and found that that's how she's thriving. And who knew that? Um, so it, not pigeonholing somebody based on past uh, actions and behaviors and patterns. Uh, I love that. that. That's awesome. And one of the things is, I know you talked a little bit about like the positive psychology and things. How is there something with words that plays a role in things when it comes to this? Like can some words like hold us back and some help us thrive or give us that opportunity to, 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 uh, to level up in a sense? Oh, Absolutely. I, we are so good at sabotaging ourselves. And it really comes from this idea of catastrophizing. This comes from the work in cognitive behavior therapy. So uh, what are we talking about here? It is irrational thinking. It's trying to see into the future. That's a huge one that holds people back. What if is so toxic if it is uh, that statement has a negative attached to it. What if I I fail? You know, what if I um, what if this doesn't work out? What if I can't do it? What if I embarrass myself? Uh, so you know, it's just take your own personal example of what's happening now that you're using that what if. And there's, you know, what if I'm late? Uh, what if I get up to give this talk and I forget what I'm saying? Um, you know, what if as I'm talking to you on this podcast, um, you know, I, um, uh, a lawnmower, you know, comes on and, and it drowns out and you can't hear me and it's, uh, that would be awful. So we're imagining something. And what we're imagining is going to that real negative space. And it's as if we are a fortune teller. So it's as if we're predicting. Um, so when we go to that what if, and it's on that negative side, what that's doing is creating a, in the moment, a physiological stress response, even at a low level. So earlier we talked about the positive emotional attractor, and what's happening is it's creating a 
parasympathetic, relaxed, more healing response where you're more available uh, cognitively to think clearly and create something. So when you are in the what if and you imagine something really negative, then it can be because of that stress response uh, lead to can, at the extreme, it leads to panic and anxiety and you stay really stuck. And so what I found one of the best ways of dealing with this inner language is you dispute it. And so you you start to go to a more rational solution. And with a what if, in so many cases, all you do is put a so in front of it. Uh, so uh, what if I'm late? Well, okay, so what if you're late? What's the worst thing that can happen? Um, can you imagine, would you remember this in five years that you were late? You know, what if I was, I was rushing before this uh, podcast, like, you know, so what if I got on late? What's the worst thing that can happen? And then you keep going and okay. And if that happened, what would be the worst thing for that? And then you get to a point where you are looking at nothing horrible, awful. It would be disappointing. So when I launched Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, I used this. And, and so, you know, what if it fails? What if we're not successful? All right. I've been there before. I ran a large group um, psychiatry, psychology practice, and it wasn't successful. We had to close our doors. Well, my life went on and it was a wonderful learning experience. And so... I don't even remember those days anymore. You know, that was 20 years ago. So you keep going in terms of adjusting your thinking so that it is realistic. I like that. And it kind of diffuses that whole trigger response, the sympathetics and, 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 and like getting all caught up in that anxiousness and worry instead of just, so what? what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, I do that with public speaking all the time. So, you know, so what if this doesn't go well? And often it comes down to embarrassment or shame, fear of I'll do something awkward, I'll, I'll you know, embarrass me, people won't like me. And so you can dig down to, well, so what if they don't? You know, it, it, can you control the audience? And if you've ever um, had feedback from an audience, you might look at that feedback. Well, maybe half the people gave it rave reviews and half the people didn't. So it is, um, again, it's like going to see a performance, going to see a movie. And some people liked it, some don't. You can't control how what the outcome will be. All you can do is say, I'm committed to uh, doing the best I can. I'm going to work really hard um, and it would be, I, I want this to be very impactful. I want people to learn from this. Um, but what's the worst thing that can happen if, it, if they don't, if they, uh, I cannot control that reaction. And so my life will still go on. I'll still have happiness. <laughs> um, is there you know with the what if I read a book just recently and it was like it's about what if everything can go the opposite of what we think so like yep. instead of like thinking what if oh man what if they don't like me what if they just oh what if they do like me what if this becomes absolutely amazing and propels me in my business or you know whatever that may be um, is that another strategy too or 
or something you utilize or even in there? Because it sounds like it's a little bit of focus, like with words, you choose certain words and certain words is a focus and a choice of what you choose and how that can either level you up or level you down. Um, how about that that process? Yeah. So you could say, you know, I it's my desire. I want to be liked. I want this talk to be impactful and I want to make a good impression. Um, it, it is crucial, though, to also go the opposite way because that's what blocks us. Um, in other words, that's where we get stuck. What if? What if I do something stupid? What if I, I screw up my, my words? What if um, I'm not invited back? Uh, and so we tend to catastrophize and think of that as being a tragedy as opposed to it's not awful, horrible, terrible. It's a disappointment. So uh, we can't, we, and then this gets at this really basic notion that we're fallible, we're human like everybody else. And so where is it written that I need to uh, be 100% uh, doing everything right, no exception? And so, again, having that room for making a mistake and knowing that uh, it is, you know, they used to say years ago I worked in cardiac rehab, is this worth dying over? And so, you know, at that level, um, you know, is this worth dying over? Is this so important that you're going to upset yourself, trigger this autonomic nervous system stress response that is contributing to physiological wear and tear? So you choose to put yourself in a different space. I like that. And it gives people the power back, knowing that they um, can choose. And, and that, I think that's very empowering in itself. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. So I can't control your thoughts right now. So you might be thinking, oh, she's like the, you know, the worst uh, interviewer. I can't stand this. This is awful. This is not what my audience wants. And, or you could be having an opposite. But if I'm going there, if I'm focused on the outcome, then that's usually where I screw up. Many people get into this when they're giving a talk, when they're taking a test, they tend to rate themselves like, oh, I'm not doing well. Oh, this isn't going well. Oh, the audience doesn't like me. And so really the, the key is to get into the content. And so you quickly say, so what? No big deal. Um, I won't remember this day in a year, in five years, um, certainly not in 10 years. And what's the worst that can happen? And so you have that split second where you go there and then you get right back into the content and that's where mindfulness comes in so you get into the present moment where you're focusing on the only thing i have is my choice of the content that i want to deliver what i want to say to you right now and then what i'm picking up as i'm listening to you that's awesome is there techniques that you recommend for from a mindfulness side to help individuals when they're, you know, because sometimes when that sympathetic start to fire, uh, we lose our critical thinking, we lose the far vision and the vision and so forth. And we just get to in a reactive state. Is there things that you kind of like recommend or help people with to like, let's reset, let's calm, let's turn that off, let's get back 
Towards yeah, it's it's um, a combination of um, breathing is really important. And all you need to do is take a few very, very slow breaths, like talking super slow motion where you're breathing in and you can just count to yourself for a count of, of six. You inhale counting to six and then you exhale slowly counting to six or even eight. You make that elongated exhalation. But that's usually not enough. Posture really helps. Amy Cuddy's work on uh, standing straight. It's kind of like the um, uh, where you have this confidence that you will get out there. Let's say you're preparing for a speech. Um, there's I, I love uh, Mrs. Maisel, the uh, series that's um, uh, popular. And um, so they've got to return. Uh, her manager always says before she goes out stage as a stand-up comedian. She says, tits up. And I love that because it's like <laughs> you are like proud. You're and, and so you change your stance, your posture. That is a, a signal physiologically. And it just feels good. You have more confidence. So you you are pairing breathing with standing up straight and then uh, focusing on anything that's not feeling right is usually excitement. So some people get anxious and they start to worry about those signals that their body's giving to them. But really, if it's like you are an athlete before a big game or an actor about to go on stage, it's you're, you're, you're naturally supposed to be excited. And so you, that's another language shift. Um, from anxiety to excited, my body is doing just what it's supposed to be doing right now. And so it's that low level of just kind of feeling energized and charged up. And you pair that with standing up straight and uh, not holding your breath. I could uh, relate very strongly to this because being a chiropractor, this is one of the, the things from a brain level of what we work on. And, and just for the listeners listening, this is very true because um, when your body's more in an extension state, which means you're going to have better posture, uh, it does, <clears throat> excuse me, activate part of the brain, which is the parasympathetics. And you get more into that state. You feel good. You have more energy and things along that nature compared to uh, being more flexed over rounded shoulders and so forth. Uh, there is lack of a lot of things that can happen there that can affect uh, mood and, and, and things along that nature. Yeah, absolutely. And it's harder, harder to breathe. Plus it's, it's that defeated posture, like you're all slumped over. Um, so it, it's uh, detracting from your, your confidence and being able to get your message across. Awesome. I got a couple of questions left. One of them I wanted to ask because I thought this was a really good one. Um, why do you say, you say that noticing how a person eats and what they eat is a window into their personality, their friends and family, and also their culture and ethnicity? So uh, psychology of eating shows us that uh, you, uh, if you want to know somebody, you watch their eating patterns and habits. And so it might be somebody who is like, are they micromanaging somebody who is uh, documenting everything they eat and weighing everything, or maybe they have a certain order of how they eat and they're very rigid about that. So, well, what other areas of their life are they very rigid about. Um, and so that would be, you know, somebody who is uh, going to be attracted to what we call nutritionism. They're not getting any joy in their food. They're just focusing on food as nutrition, as um, fuel. 
And then on the opposite would be like the Homer Simpson food as hedonism. Food is complete pleasure. And so people might describe them as a human garbage pail, but what else is about how they are able to regulate and manage? Is it all based on pursuit of this temporary pleasure satisfaction? Uh, We can also look at Uh, Throughout our lifespan, our approach to food tends to be more in sync with our developmental stage. So if we look at the psychosocial development, so many parents are attempting to get their kids to eat healthier. But if they are in that rebellious stage, if they're in the um, seeking autonomy as a two-year-old, they're going to be the picky eater, perhaps. And so their parents' efforts are going to fail. Also, if they're adolescents or they're just going off to college and finding their identity as their crucial stage in life, well, then it's no surprise that they're going to come home at Thanksgiving and they're going to announce the opposite of how they were raised. So if they were raised as vegans, they're going to say, oh, I just had some meat and oh, I love that uh, pork sausage that they serve and uh, because they're finding their identity. But if they were raised with the meat and potatoes, then they're going to come back and say, I'm a vegan. And I'm not eating. I'm going to have tofurkey for me for Thanksgiving. So it's it's often not based on the food choices, but it's coming from their psychosocial stage of development. Um, And similarly, as we our attitudes towards food change, when we get into our 30s, we're having children, we may adopt a healthier eating style. And again, it's in sync with again, both our personality and our stage of development and also our our, our friends. We eat the way our, or our families, our friends. We have to take that into consideration. We tend to adopt um, the patterns of people we associate with and our culture. This runs really deep. So there are certain foods that um, we eat um, out of awareness. So what do we eat on the 4th of July? What do we eat every Christmas, for example? Well, it's often tied in with associating these special times with special foods. And so it's like we're on autopilot. It's just a deep, deep, visceral connection. Very interesting. And so it's really like more of just what you've been exposed to in your early developmental years to where it kind of leads to that until you get to your 30s. And you're like, I may start to make some of my own choices and kind of change things up a little bit. Yeah, it, it's often our our eating patterns are in sync with our um, psychosocial developmental patterns. Um, and there also there's some if we can look at certain um Some things are genetic. Uh, Even they did tests of neonates who very early um, smiled when they were given a little sweet uh, in that they were just given a dab uh, and they smiled versus grimaced uh, for sour, for bitter. So um, some of our, our patterns are based on biology as well. Very interesting. Well, Dr. Sandra, this is great. I, I want to just give a chance to have the listeners. How can they connect with you, reach out to you, follow you and do all that you're follow you and, and keep up with all that you're doing? Yeah. So uh, we are a functional medicine coaching dot org. And we are on Facebook, Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. Uh, you can follow us on um, Instagram, Functional Med Coach, or um, you can follow me, Dr. Sandy, on Instagram. And I'd, I'd love to stay connected.
Awesome. I will have this all in the show notes for all the listeners listening here so you can get connected with her and all the links and everything to get connected with. But uh, Dr. Sandra, this was awesome. This was great. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and everything that you're up to. Again, I want to commend you for, you know, and I don't know if we even talked about this on the show, but starting something new at 65. I, I mean, I really... Uh, I think that's very inspiring and in that it's never too late or early or whatever to start something and do something with your passion and what it is that you want to do. So I just want to commend you for that. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, uh, never too late to start something new. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market thanks for tuning into the podcast if you found this episode to be inspirational pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this if this is your first time tuning in please follow us connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode until next time keep rocking and rolling